0: And please take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 19. We'll be looking this morning at verses 13 through 15. Matthew nineteen, thirteen through 15. Hear the word of the Lord. Then children were brought to him, that is Jesus, that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people. But Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask now for your grace and your wisdom as we turn our attention to this passage, that we might understand it correctly and uh, live by it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. In real estate, they say the three prime considerations are location, location, and location. Well, in biblical studies and biblical interpretation, the three prime considerations are context, context, context. And as we look at these few verses in this small text, it would be easy to pass by them because they fall between two larger sections of teaching— Uh, One, we looked at last week, that is Matthew chapter uh, 19, verses 1 through 12, a passage that stresses the sanctity of marriage. And next week, Lord willing, we will look at a passage that has a great deal to say uh, about our relationship to money. But here we have a passage that has to do with children. Children. Now, again, in context, uh, Jesus has already, back in chapter 18, addressed this question of children uh, as he points to a child and saying, unless you're like this child, uh, you will never enter the kingdom, and whoever humbles himself like this child is greatest in the kingdom. But in this chapter, we have, again, the relationship of marriage, relationship of money, but in the middle, we have this reference to children and children in relationship to Jesus. Well, what are we to make of this? Uh, Well, looking at it in its context, it looks like chapter 19 actually deals with three important relationships in our lives. One, of course, is our marriage. We looked at that last time. Uh, And one, of course, is the relationship of the Christian to money, our view of money, our dealings with money, all of that. But here, what about our children? And there really, I think, is a priority there in terms of worldly relationships. Obviously, marriage is the priority, the first and foremost relationship. But then also children, as the Lord gives us children. And certainly money is something that affects our everyday lives profoundly. And that, too, is an important relationship, not with another person, but to our own resources and uh, provisions in the world. But today we're looking at children. And as we look at this passage, because it's so short, it would be easy to overlook it. But actually, there is a great deal here, not necessarily stated directly, although uh, some, some, some of the principles are, but uh, much more that is implied by what we find here in these verses. And so as we look at these few verses together, I want us to consider some lessons that arise from this incident that took place. And the first lesson that we learn is this, that we do the right thing to lead our children, to bring our children to Jesus. Look at verse 13. Then children were brought to him, that's past or passive uh, voice, uh, who was doing the bringing. Well, uh, obviously their parents, uh, perhaps bringing children uh, to Jesus. Why? That he might lay his hands on them, uh, at least the mothers involved here, perhaps fathers as well. Well, they bring their children to Jesus. Why? Because they want Jesus to place his hands on them. They want Jesus to, uh, to pray for their children. Now, why would they do such a thing? Well, there actually was a long history, a tradition of, uh, parents bringing their children to the, uh, teacher, to the rabbi in order to receive blessing. In fact, uh, one biblical scholar uh, cites sources in, among the writings of the rabbis uh, describing the beautiful custom in Jerusalem on the Day of Atonement of bringing children from 1 to 12 years old to the scribes for them to lay their hands on them and to pray for them. And so for these parents, this was a natural thing. This was a common custom, accepted practice. But it also tells us something about how they view Jesus, doesn't it? in that they're looking at Jesus as a religious leader, as a rabbi, as a teacher in Israel, regardless of uh, what the Pharisees, the official establishment, thought of him. Certainly among the people, Jesus was looked up to and revered as a leader. By the very fact that the parents would bring their children to Jesus in order for him to do what was the practice, and that is to place his hands on them and to pray for God's blessing and protection on them. And so when these parents were doing this, they were doing something that was common. They were doing something customary. They were doing something that was right, seeking for basically their pastor to put his hands on the children, pray for them, pray for their spiritual well-being, pray for their physical protection. So they are doing the right thing. Now, as they were doing that, uh, something else happens here. Uh, where the disciples come along, and they rebuke the people. Uh, they rebuked them, it says, referring apparently to the parents, uh, not so much the children. Uh, but they rebuked the parents who were doing this. Now, we're doing the right thing to lead our children to the Lord, to bring our children under his influence, under his blessing. Uh, and yet, as they were doing this, the disciples step in and say, Wait a minute, back off, what are you doing? Now, another lesson we can learn from that is that in training our children, bringing them to the Lord, uh, we may encounter obstacles on the way. Hopefully not from within the church, not from among Jesus' own followers, although that may be the case. But let's look at what happened. The disciples step in and they say, you know, stop. What are you doing? Why would they say such a thing? Well, one uh, reason may have to do with their view of Jesus. Well, Jesus is, is a high and mighty leader. Jesus, He's the man. He's our, He's our head. He's our, He's our chief. And, uh, you know, we need to protect Him. We need to protect His time. We need to guard Him against distractions, especially as He's heading to Jerusalem and maybe setting up His kingdom. And that might have something to do with us. And we, well, wait a minute. They didn't quite go that far. We don't know if that's what was in their minds. But at the very least, they thought that Jesus would not want to be bothered by these people bringing their little children to Jesus. They would think, perhaps, that Jesus maybe didn't have time for little children. Now, children uh, were obviously dear to their parents in that day, uh, but it was very much a day that respected age and wisdom that comes with age. Uh, And children were certainly around, and they loved their children, but basically they had very much a children-should-be-seen-and-not-heard mentality, uh, what does a five-year-old have to contribute to the discussion? That's kind of the mentality uh, that was in the day. And so, you know, as these parents were bringing these little children to Jesus, they thought, well, what use could he possibly have for children? You know, why would he want to be bothered with their children? Uh, it could also be something of a worldly and pragmatic view there. Uh, you know, politics, uh, I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine. What could children have to return to Jesus? You know, this was strictly a one way street. children could do nothing for Jesus, uh, so why should he be troubled with them? Unfortunately, people then and now take that view of other people, uh, paying attention only to those who have something to contribute back to them in return. Well, the scriptures tell us to do good even for those who can do nothing in return for us and so we do the right thing to lead our children to Jesus and yet uh just as those those uh, those parents found this this obstacle surprisingly Jesus own disciples uh we may find that there're some obstacles if we are trying to bring our children to the Lord and to know the Lord and to know his blessing um it wouldn't necessarily be the disciples although there could be those who preach and teach in the name of Jesus, who are not preaching and teaching the truth of Jesus, and it could be an obstacle. But I want us just briefly to kind of expand this a little bit. What would be some obstacles today that would hinder uh, our training up our children to know the Lord? Well, one obstacle uh, would be this idea that's in the world that's totally wrong, and yet perhaps some in the church have bought into it, that we really should not indoctrinate our children. Now, that's a bad word in our day. The word basically means to teach, doctrine, uh, obviously at the root of it, teaching. Uh, why should we not indoctrinate our children? It means we teach our children. Some would say, and some actually take up the practice, well, what you should do you know, is just let your children decide as they get older. Now, there's a number of problems with that view. One is the idea that your child is somehow uh, just an unbiased uh, observer, unbiased evaluator of information. Not true. Your children, like you, like all of us, have a heart that is bent towards sin, that is bent away from God, that is bent to go his own way. Uh, we're not just neutral observers, uh, neutral processors of the information that we receive. The other problem with that view is it assumes that all teaching, all religious views are equal. Uh, well, you just need to examine them all and sift through them and decide which one is right for you. Well, nothing could be further from the truth. As parents, we don't want our children uh, to have the idea that all propositions, all statements are equal, that everything they hear is equally valid and true. No. Uh, We want to teach them what is true, what the scriptures teach, which is truth itself, which is uh, how things really are, that God is in his heaven, that he's created us, we are fallen, we are sinful, God has set a savior, we are in need of that savior because we are in need of being reconciled to God and forgiven our sins. So this is one obstacle uh, uh, just in the world, this idea that somehow we're supposed to just let our children choose their own way. We wouldn't want to impose our beliefs on them. Well, that's utter, utterly ridiculous, and the scriptures counter that. Uh, Deuteronomy is very careful uh, to say that you were to teach your children, you were to train them, you were to speak to them. Uh, and not just in a formal classroom setting, but in the in the ups and downs, ins and outs of life, uh, to, to teach them about the Lord and the fact that this is his world. We already read earlier in Ephesians chapter 6, uh, fathers, bring your children up in the discipline, in the instruction of the Lord. As Christian parents, we dare not take the view that we just let our children discover what they believe for themselves. That is an abdication of your responsibility. So that is one obstacle, is that idea that's out there in the world, and we reject that utterly. But there are some other obstacles that can stand in the way. One is our laziness. Sometimes we're tired. You know, our children come and they ask some heavy theological question. Um... Jesus is God, right? Right. Well, who is Jesus praying to? Suddenly it's time for a discussion on the Trinity. But it's been a long day, and you're tired, and American Idol is on, and, you know, just our laziness, uh, overcoming that that inertia of spending the mental and and physical energy to talk to our children about serious biblical truth. So our own laziness, our own lethargy can be an obstacle. Uh, Another is our own ignorance. You may not feel equal to talking to your children about the scriptures. Uh, Well, dear friend, it is time for you to get into the word. It is time for you to start studying yourself. Um, You need to be in a position to teach your children about what the Bible teaches, about who Jesus is and about what he has done. Um, The Bible is a big book, yes, but you need to be in it. You need to be teaching yourself and growing yourself so that you can teach your children's truths of what it contains. Uh, obviously, there's some good resources to help you in that, and probably none better than the catechisms, the, the children's catechism, uh, and then later the shorter catechism, which are a systematic approach to biblical truth uh, that touch on various uh, topics like who God is and uh, who Jesus is and what the covenant of grace is that go through a, a simple ex- explanation of the Lord's Prayer, of the Ten Commandments, um tremendous tools for teaching our children. So another obstacle could be our ignorance. Another is just our busyness uh, with our schedules, our children's schedules. Who has time to sit and talk anymore? Well, we do. And we need to make time to uh to be able to talk to our children and to tell them about Jesus. Uh, again, competition. Your children are hearing not just from you. They're hearing messages from the television. They're hearing messages from their teachers in school. They're hearing messages from their classmates. Uh, I remember being in junior high Sunday school. And a fellow student in my Sunday school class, before the teacher got there, or maybe it was after class was over, I don't remember, said to me, you don't really believe this, do you? That was in Sunday school. And my immediate reaction was, yes, of course I believe this. And I did. But it's curious that that thought would be put there in a Sunday school class in a PCA church competition. Our own shortcomings. Well, who am I to teach my child about Jesus when I know my past and I know what I've done and I know I didn't live up to the standards that the Bible teaches and so forth? Well, dear friends, you're not the standard. You, like your child, need the Savior. You are not leading them to yourself. You are leading them to Jesus. You are bringing them to the Lord. Just as you need the Lord, you are bringing your children to the Savior as well. Uh, we all have pasts. We all have regrets. We're, none of us is perfect. And our children need to know that we're not perfect, not that we have to tell them everything about our lives, but that we too are in need of a Savior, that we too, as we're encouraging them, come to Jesus in faith, asking him to forgive us and asking him to be our righteousness. Jesus is the standard. Jesus is the Savior. And we share with our children in coming to him in need of his forgiveness and grace and cleansing. Well, the third lesson that we find here, uh, not only that we do right to actively and prayerfully bring our children to the Lord for his blessing, for his grace in their lives, uh, recognizing and overcoming these obstacles that uh, we've mentioned, but we also recognize that children have a place in the kingdom of heaven, in the kingdom of God. Look at verse 14. When this is happening, the disciples rebuke the people. Jesus said, no, no, no. Let the little children come to me. Do not forbid them. Do not hinder them. Do not stand in their way. Why? For to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. Now, it's very easy to read that and say, well, yes, Jesus is saying that the kingdom belongs to those who are humble, who come in a childlike way. Well, Jesus said that. If you'll turn back over to chapter 18, uh, Jesus said in verse four, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And so we come back to this verse and we assume that's what it means. But is that what Jesus says? Well, that's certainly true. I mean, he's already taught that. That's true. Well, what does Jesus say here? He says, don't stop them for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying here. The point here is not their humility. That's not even mentioned at all. The humility of a, of a little child, the point is their place that the children too have a place in the kingdom of God, in and as I would say it here, the visible church in the world that the children also have a place they 're not to be cut off from Jesus as and denied access to him as though they 're unimportant as though they really don 't belong. Jesus is saying, for to such is the kingdom of heaven to children also, not just adults, but children are part of the kingdom. Uh, they're not a part of the church tomorrow. They are a part of the church today and an important part of the church. And that has a number of implications. That we should tr- treat the children of our church with love and with respect. They too are part of the kingdom and they too are part of the visible church. Along with that, uh, while this passage does not refer to baptism and is not directly an argument for infant baptism, I certainly wouldn't represent it as such. Nevertheless, the implication of it is that children are part of the kingdom, a part of the visible church here in the world, and just as in the Old Testament, they were a part of the covenant community and entitled to the covenant sign of baptism. Uh, I think it is an implication of this text that children, too, are entitled to receive the sign of the covenant namely baptism, that children should participate with us in the life of the church. Uh, our children participate with us in worship, uh, not simply as a default, but as a matter of conviction. We believe children are part of the church. They should worship together with the church. That's why we don't segregate them out during the worship service, because they are part of the people of God and participate in the worship of God with us. You know, we have evidence of Jesus taking interest in children. His, his use of them in Matthew 18 is an example of the kind of humility of those who would be in the kingdom. Of course, here, where he welcomes them, uh, we think of uh, chapter 11, uh, verse 16, where Jesus says, But to what shall I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you, and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge, and you didn't mourn. Jesus actually uses that common picture people would have in their mind of the children playing in the streets as, a, as an example of what he was saying there, which tells us uh, at the very least that Jesus noticed them, Jesus watched them, Jesus paid attention to the, the chants and the songs, you know, the little rhymes that children were saying to each other. In fact, quotes from them there, uh, from one of these rhymes of a, of a children's game. Ever noticed that the older I've gotten, it's interesting to see my own children saying things, telling the same jokes, playing the same games, doing the same riddles that I did when I was four and five and six years old. How does that happen? Somehow it just gets passed. I we never taught them that. Somehow it just gets passed on among children from generation to generation. If they just pick up on these things, you know, they know you play a game. Someone's got to be it. Why it? Yet. Think about it. It. Yet. But, you know, same the same riddles, the same jokes. You know, you kind of hate to tell them, you know, I heard that one when I was in kindergarten. But it's true. You know, they're so proud of this new joke they learned. But it's been around a long time. Well, children do that. And Jesus observed that. I mean, he, he quotes one of their little rhymes that they were singing in the street as they played their their games. Jesus paid attention to them in the church. He took an interest in them. He loved them. He welcomed them. And as a church, we should too. Um, Years ago, we didn't have that many children in our church. And we made a point on Sunday nights deliberately to begin praying that God would bless our church with children. And he has answered that prayer. And that is a tremendous stewardship on the part of us as parents and on this church as a congregation uh, that has been given these children. We need to take an interest in our children, not undue obsession with them, to be sure, but certainly to take an interest as parents and as a church in the spiritual well-being and growth of our children. Do they know the Lord? Where are their hearts? We want just not outward obedience, but we want hearts that love the Lord and want to obey him and want to serve him. So we recognize that children have a place, even as children, in the kingdom of God. We're not just looking for great things from them in the future, though hopefully that will be there, but we're looking for great things from them now. We bring them to the Lord. We overcome the obstacles, recognizing that they have a place in the kingdom. It's not because they're innocent. They're not. They're fallen like the rest of us. But it's because Jesus, quite particularly, singles children out and welcomes them as a part of the kingdom. Well, I want to close with a quotation from a favorite uh, author of mine, J.C. Ryle. Uh, he was a minister in the Church of England in the 1800s. Uh, and he says this about what Jesus says in verse 14. He says, finally, let us draw from these verses encouragement to attempt great things in the religious instruction of children. Let us begin from their very earliest years to deal with them as having souls to be lost or saved. And strive to bring them to Christ. Let us make them acquainted with the Bible as soon as they can understand anything. Let us pray with them and pray for them and teach them to pray for themselves. We may rest assured that Jesus looks with pleasure on such endeavors and is ready to bless them. We may rest assured that such endeavors are not in vain. The seed sown in infancy is often found after many days. Happy is that church whose infant members are cared for as much as the oldest communicants. Let's pray. Father, we pray that we would be such a church, uh, that we would take great interest in the spiritual well-being of our children, that we would make every effort to bring them to you, Lord Jesus, for your blessing, for your grace upon them. Father, we recognize that the hindrances and obstacles to that are many. Uh, And yet, Lord, give us grace to overcome them. Hindrances from the world, hindrances sometimes from within the church, and hindrances to our own, uh, in our own hearts, our own souls, our own minds. But Father, we pray by your grace that we would overcome those. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that our children, every one of them, not a single one would be lost, but every one of them come to a saving faith in Jesus and live to serve him in childhood, in youth, in adulthood, and in old age for we pray it in Christ's name and for his glory amen